Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. The disappearance of Madeleine McCann, a three-year-old that went missing from a Portuguese holiday resort in 2007, has been widely covered by the media. Back in 1985, another three-year-old went missing while at a holiday park. This is the case of Leonie Keating. At the end of 1984, David and Gail's relationship was over. The constant fighting and arguing made it impossible to stay together, even if just two years earlier, they had welcomed their daughter Leonie into this world at Queen Charlotte's Maternity Hospital in Hammersmith. Gail Keating fled the couple's home in North Holt, West London. She moved to a women's hostel in Acton along with her daughters. 11-year-old Nicola, known as Nikki, and Leone. Her partner and Leone's father, David Cornell, moved to Battersea in the south of the capital. A custody battle for Leone ensued between Gail and David, 
but by August the following year the courts made their decision. Leonie would remain in the care of her mother. Gail was ecstatic and went out for a celebratory meal at a pub with her mother Joyce Baker and her stepfather Charles. Later that month, the refuge where she was still staying had organised a trip for Gail and her daughters, along with the other residents. The seashore caravan park in Great Yarmouth, Norfolk, was almost a three-hour drive away. Gail was given the keys to K24, just one of the thousand nondescript holiday homes. Rows of identical brown and cream caravans sat side by side. Nikki and three-year-old Leonie spent the next few days playing on the nearby sandy beach, eating ice creams and enjoying the children's entertainment. A confident child, Leonie made friends with other children at the holiday park. The week-long trip had gone as planned, and with only one night left on the evening of Friday, September 13th, 1985, Nikki wanted to go to the on-site disco with a friend. The pair would be accompanied by Gail, who had arranged for a babysitter to come and watch Leonie from 10.30pm. The toddler was usually a sound sleeper, often resting quietly throughout the night. Gail cooked her daughter dinner, got Leonie into her pyjamas, and by 9pm she was in a deep sleep after a busy day taking in the refreshing sea air. Ten o'clock rolled around, and Gail and her daughter Nikki were looking forward to going to the disco. There was still half an hour until the babysitter was due to arrive. She was staying in the caravan next door, and knew Gail as she was a resident of the refuge too. Gail later said that another woman was staying in a caravan opposite that was also going to keep an eye out. Leonie's mother then made a decision that would impact the rest of her life. She decided to take a chance and leave Leonie sleeping alone. Gail thought she locked the door after she left. The babysitter arrived late, sometime around 11pm. When she entered the unlocked caravan, she noted Leone was not there. She made the assumption that Leone's mother had changed her mind and decided to take her daughter with her. The babysitter left, and at 12.30am, Gail and Nikki returned to an empty and unlocked caravan. A couple of hours later, after a frantic search with Leonie still missing, the police were called in. At first, they thought the toddler had unlocked the door and left the caravan to find her mother and sister. Maybe a kindly holidaymaker had taken her in until morning. But she was nowhere to be found. After hours of searching, 
it was apparent that Leonie was not at the caravan park. No clues as to where the child might be were uncovered, so a subsequent search of the seaside was carried out. Officers were of the opinion that due to her young age, Leonie could not last more than 48 hours on her own. A loudspeaker announcement was broadcast by Detective Chief Superintendent Roger Sandal at the Yarmouth races, appealing to the hundreds of attendees at the horse racing venue on the Norfolk coast to join the search for the missing three-year-old. A helicopter could be heard overhead, carrying out an aerial search of the coastline and caravan park, while two lifeboats trawled the water. The mood of the holidaymakers quickly shifted from what was a cheerful and carefree atmosphere, following the arrival of over 50 officers searching for Leone along with a specialist team that employed the use of several sniffer dogs. Police considered if the bright lights of the amusement arcade on the pier had attracted the child to wander in that direction. A search was carried out and questions were asked but no one had seen the three-year-old. Several days passed. Gail Keating appealed for her daughter's safe return at a press conference. She's hardly afraid of anything. She would have made straight for the lights, definitely, on people. And if she was cold, she would have banged on someone's caravan door. I don't know. Young boys always take an interest in Leone. She has that sort of enchanting, you know, attitude about her, you know. I mean, even where I live, all the locals, you know, they're her favourite. A local businessman offered thousands of pounds for information, and 300 holidaymakers joined the search for the toddler, last seen in her pyjamas. A line was formed near the seashore caravan park. The public helped scour every inch of the beach in case Leone had wandered off in the direction of the sea and got in trouble, subsequently being washed up on the sand. She wasn't found on that stretch of beach. Her body was discovered in water, almost 60 miles away around Barton Mills, a village in West Suffolk next to the A11 road. The scene was located beside a popular picnic site, close to a large roundabout beyond some prickly bushes. Four days after Leone had disappeared, a pair of locals out for a walk stumbled upon the body of a small child floating in a murky drainage canal which led to the River Lark. The toddler's hands were tied behind her back with a yellow washing line, and she was wearing only a light blue pyjama top. Leone had no hope of saving herself once in the water. Following the discovery, a police spokesman issued a statement. We have no idea how long the body had been in the water. Um, Having said that, we would naturally appeal to anybody who has visited the picnic site or the immediate area and who feel that they may be able to help our police inquiries to get in contact with us at the incident room at Mildenhall Police Station, New Police Station. 
Peony's body was taken to the mortuary at West Suffolk Hospital. The post-mortem found that the three-year-old had drowned, most likely early on Saturday morning, a few hours after she was taken. Even more horrifying, there was evidence of a severe sexual assault. People living in the area have reacted with shock to the news of Leone's brutal death. In a nearby pub, locals couldn't contain their feelings of revenge and bitterness. Well, I reckon they should do the same to him if ever done it. Well, having a daughter myself, uh, just quite a bit older, I think it's absolutely disgusting, honestly. And the quicker they get the person to justice, you know, I think, it, I think I'm just reflecting most people's views around here. I think most people in the area feel, you now because it's happened here, honestly, and uh, very, very sad. Totally shocked. You know, don't know what to say. I think it's disgusting. When they find these sort of people, they're not hard enough with them. That's the trouble with them. That's why they carry on doing it. Oh, gotta be sick whoever did it, isn't they? I mean, that's great. Investigators got to work immediately at the crime scene. Plaster casts were taken of some shoe prints found in the mud on the bank near the toddler's body. Divers examined the waters of the muddy canal, hoping to find clues, particularly the bottom half of Leone's pyjamas that was still missing. Uh, They are pale blue uh, pyjama bottoms, naturally to fit uh, a three-year-old child. Uh, They may be en route somewhere between Great Yarmouth and Barton Mills. They may be at Barton Mills, and that is why we're conducting a major search of that area. Have you any idea, or can you give some indication of the sort of person you're looking for? We're looking for a very callous person. He must be to have done this to such a young child. Do you think he might have known the area? There is a possibility. Uh, Of course, the A11 is a a major trunk road, and uh, it may be a stranger to the area. David Cornell identified his daughter's body. Afterwards, he would have to be sedated. Recalling his daughter, he later said, The only was one in a million. She cannot be replaced. If she had one fatal flaw, it was that she was too friendly. She was a three-year-old who acted like a nine-year-old. Leone's father spoke about his feelings towards the person responsible for his daughter's death. I would like to have 30 minutes alone in a cell with him. David, along with other family members, planned to stay in Great Yarmouth until the perpetrator had been caught. Gail found accommodation in a local hotel and was joined by her mother, Joyce, who tried to comfort her daughter. As the investigation into a missing person had quickly turned into a murder inquiry, a search by scene of crime officers was underway as they combed the waterways and nearby picnic site. A vital piece of evidence was discovered by chance. Two days after Leone's body was found, a taxi driver stopped at the Goulston to Great Yarmouth Bypass for a short break. Around midnight, Graham Light put his headlights on and spotted something dark on the ground. When he left the taxi to check, 
Light later said he felt ill when he realised it was a small pale blue pair of pyjama bottoms. As he had been following the case in the news, Light already knew who they belonged to and called the police. After the discovery, officers deduced that Leone had been abused in Great Yarmouth just three and a half miles from the caravan site before she was driven the 70 miles to where she was ultimately killed. Ten days after Leone's murder, Detective Chief Superintendent Eric Shields told the press the picnic area was a popular spot for courting couples and he appealed to anyone that was there on that night to come forward. Discretion was guaranteed. DCS Shields said, We want these people to come forward if there is the slightest chance they might have seen or heard anything unusual that night. I want them to know that they have nothing to fear from our inquiries. We don't want to know what they were doing or who they were with. Our only interest is to find Leone's killer before he strikes again. Two thousand five hundred calls came flooding in from potential witnesses who were staying at the caravan park. Some callers believed they held a vital clue or knew the murderer police were so desperate to find. Additionally, 4,000 people had flocked to the seashore caravan park for a late summer holiday when Gail, Nicky and Leone were there. Investigators were determined to question every one of the guests. However, most of the holidaymakers had returned home to all parts of the country, and it was a colossal task to try and find them all. Some useful information had filtered back to investigators. A brown car was seen at the holiday park not too far from the caravan where Gail, Nicky and Leone were staying. At first, the press incorrectly reported the vehicle as being a Ford. However, the make was in fact a Rover. Officers decided not to correct the newspaper reports as a way to keep the investigators' cards close to their chest so as to not spook Leone's killer. The washing line binding Leone's wrists matched the type of line both used and sold around the caravan park. During talks with holidaymakers, detectives unearthed another incident that occurred on the evening the three-year-old was taken. Two women staying in a caravan came back to discover someone had forced their way in. A camera and some other items were taken. Soon after, a handwritten note was slid under the door. The author claimed to have the camera. He said he would return it if the women performed a sex act in front of the window. Unsurprisingly, this was not something they agreed to and the theft of their belongings was reported to the local police. Was it coincidence or was it the same person that snatched Leone? Shortly after Gail Keating and her eldest daughter left their accommodation to go out, 
Some other holiday makers from three separate caravans said they heard a small child crying, Mummy, Mummy. They recalled hearing it at different times throughout the night and into the early hours. Detective Chief Superintendent Roger Sandal from the Norfolk Police said, The cries were first heard just after 11pm, more about an hour later, and again at 1.45am. The people who heard the cries were in bed. No one was quite sure if the voice was Leone's or one of the many other children holidaying within the grounds, as the witnesses were staying in different locations on the sizeable park. The television programme BBC Breakfast Time provided a considerable audience for an appeal. Following the announcement, calls came flooding in. Looking through police records, it was initially considered the case may have been linked to an incident that happened three years earlier. Just like Leone, a child had been abducted from a caravan park in St Ossith near Clacton-on-Sea in Essex. It was reported in this instance the child was physically unharmed. Pauline Coe had been snatched from the park where her parents had a holiday caravan by a man she later described as, quote, fat. A full description was helpful to officers as they managed to make a photo fit of her abductor. It seemed he had second thoughts about harming Pauline by the time he got to Great Yarmouth. In the car, he had learned about the child's life as she spoke of her love of animals, and surprisingly, her admission appeared to resonate with her captor. He admitted that he once broke into an animal laboratory. When they arrived at Great Yarmouth, he dumped Pauline, tied up and gagged, outside the toilets on a South Dean's camping site, a two-hour drive away from her original destination. Furthermore, there had been an attempted abduction just three months before Leone was taken at the same caravan park in Great Yarmouth. A 14-year-old was getting ready for bed. Her parents were out having a drink in the camp's club. She answered a knock at the caravan's door. A man initially convinced her that her parents had sent him to get her but she had second thoughts outside when she saw a car and squirmed out of the man's grasp to get away. However, he had a knife and tried to stab the young teenager. Thankfully, she managed to escape with what was described in the press as minor injuries, but she needed four stitches. And in yet another kidnap attempt that month, The woman in her thirties was also attacked at the same seashore caravan park in Great Yarmouth. This too was linked to the other incidents. Detective Chief Superintendent Eric Shields, head of Norfolk CID, working the investigation into Leone's murder, voiced his fears about the number of abductions and attempted abductions that were taking place. There is always such a danger that such a person may strike again.
During the time of Leone's abduction, holidaymakers at the Seashore Caravan Park were shown the photo fit and asked if anyone had seen someone similar the day Leone Keating disappeared. Witnesses believed they'd seen a man acting suspiciously. Some said lunchtime, some in the afternoon, others in the evening, and his description and age varied. Five feet to five feet ten inches tall, sometimes wearing spectacles. The age spanned from 25 to 45. The man's hair parted on the left, was wavy and brown but greying on the sides. He was reported to have a moustache and wore a camouflage jacket and a pair of dirty jeans. As the investigation unfolded, officers managed to make a further link to the Rover car when a witness reported seeing a child sobbing in the back seat of the brown vehicle around 10.30pm on the night Leone disappeared. In a horrifying coincidence, not even a week after Leone Keating's abduction and murder, two other young children had also been killed in Rotherhithe, South London, seven-year-old Tina Beechuk and her four-year-old friend Stacey Kavanagh. While the incident had occurred nearly 75 miles south from where Leone was found, Detective Chief Superintendent Eric Shields said about the possible link, I have got an open mind on all other cases. There are many other cases you could say could be linked. At this stage, I shall pursue this inquiry, but of course I bear those in mind. During that same period, six-year-old Barry Lewis also went missing from London just two days after Leone on September 15th, this time from Woolworth, about four miles away from Tina Beechuk and Stacey Kavanagh's home. It was understandable that parallel lines were drawn between these two cases, both in the press and within the police investigation. But when the bodies of Stacey and then Tina were later found, their murderer was identified almost instantly. This is a case we will be covering later in this season. Sadly, the body of Barry Lewis was not discovered until December that year. He had fallen prey to Sidney Cook, otherwise known as Hissing Sid, who was part of a gang of paedophiles. Barry's murder was not linked to Leone Keating's. However, it was an awful and heartbreaking coincidence that the four young children had lost their lives in that same week. Unsolved murders and cases of child disappearances in Norfolk were reopened and re-examined, to see if there were any apparent links to Leone's murder. One such case was the disappearance of April Fab, who went missing on April 8th, 1969. The only evidence left behind was the teenager's bicycle. There were no signs of where she went or what happened to her. It has been over 50 years since her disappearance, and the case remains unsolved. Leonie Keating attended a nursery at Acton Green Primary School. 
the pupils were given lessons about the dangers of strangers. Prayers for Leone were offered in assembly. At their young age, some of the children could not comprehend what had happened to their classmate. The parents of other pupils were understandably frightened and horrified. Some of the parents drew up a petition which they planned to submit to a local MP. They wanted the death penalty to be reinstated for cases of child murder. A mother in the playground commented, Death may be the only deterrent for beasts like the one who killed Leone. As a search for Leone's killer continued, the case was featured on an episode of BBC's Crime Watch. Gail was racked with guilt over leaving her child alone. She told the Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush Gazette in the five weeks since her daughter's murder, some of the tabloids had falsely reported on her actions during the night Leone went missing. Gail said one tabloid claimed that she was high on LSD the night her child was murdered, that she left the caravan without arranging a babysitter, and that she dropped Nikki off somewhere else so she could bring a man back. They're all lies. There are lots of people that can back me up, Gail said. Leone was fast asleep, and I thought the babysitter would come back any minute. Gail went on to talk about how in the past she had never left Leone on her own. It was the only time I left Leone alone. Ironically, I've always been the one to say children should never be left alone. Usually I never took my eye off Leone. This is something I will never forgive myself for. I will never get over it. A month later, the women's refuge where Gail and Nikki were still living was broken into. Gail's belongings were rifled through, and the thieves took some unnamed checks amounting to £2,000. The bereaved mother told the press, I am very upset. That money was for the funeral and to get me and Nikki started again. As people across the country slowly heard the news of the theft, well-wishers sent funds to help. Luckily, most of the stolen cheques were stopped before they could be cashed, minus £400. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. Unexpectedly, two months after Leone's murder, Newspaper reports confirmed on November 23rd, a suspect was being questioned. A 27-year-old man from Bedford was eventually charged and appeared at Mildon Hall Magistrates Court in Suffolk two days later. As the police van pulled up with the suspect inside, a group of people waited outside angry and poised, ready to throw eggs at the vehicle. Gary Hopkins was charged with Leonie Keating's murder. The authorities were permitted to keep Hopkins in custody until the trial. At a later court appearance, he also faced further charges relating to the abduction and attempted abduction at the Holiday Parks in Essex and Great Yarmouth. Despite the pouring rain, in early December, the angry crowds that would usually gather before Hopkins appeared in court had grown to 50 people, wanting to catch a glimpse of the man responsible. Hopkins had a good local knowledge of Yarmouth. He'd holidayed at the seashore camp in 1983. People who know Hopkins remember him as unpopular and a loner who went out of his way not to talk to people. His milkman Wayne Locke says some people even nicknamed him Misery Guts. He never ever spoke. He wasn't a very happy sort of person. He was quite a miserable person. You know, no one got on with him. There's about four flats up there and no one got on with him. 
Leone Keating's funeral service was held in Great Yarmouth on December 19, 1985, at the Church of St Nicholas, who was the patron saint of children. Leone's sister Nicola was in tears when onlookers jeered at her mother for leaving Leone alone and for wearing red shoes to the funeral. The small white coffin with a beautiful teddy bear created from tiny yellow flowers was the focal point at the front of the service. Reverend Richard Allington Smith addressed the 200 mourners that did not include Leone's father. Not even a week before Christmas, the Reverend poignantly said, The St Nicholas on our banner seems a rather sad Santa, and when you think about all the terrible things that have happened to children in recent months, he has every reason to be sad. This, this little girl's association with Yarmouth was so very sad that I, I, I feel that uh, we, we need to pay, uh, from the point of view not only of the church but of the town, a, a tribute uh, to her because I think one of the great things that needs to come out of all this is the tremendous value of human life, the life of a little girl which has been so wantonly done away with. It became too much for Gail Keating who collapsed on the way to the crematorium. Gary Alec Hopkins, born in Romford, Essex in 1956, found his childhood difficult. He had epilepsy and suffered from claustrophobia. Hopkins had trouble making friends, so spent a lot of time with his grandmother who owned a caravan in St Ossith in Essex, where Pauline Coe was later abducted. As a boy, he caused some concern at the holiday park, when he would stare through the wide windows of the static caravans and enter uninvited when people were out to steal valuables like cash and cigarettes. When Hopkins was a 14-year-old school student in Ipswich, Suffolk, he was apprehended for exposing himself to girls. As the years passed, working life did not come easily to Hopkins either. He struggled to read and write. At 24, Hopkins started but did not complete a six-month nurse's training course. When he got a job as a cook on a merchant navy ship, some thought it might just be the thing he needed. But the position wasn't to last, and he jumped ship because he couldn't tolerate the confined space of the boat. In September 1983, he pleaded guilty to burglary at Norwich Crown Court and was convicted at a further trial relating to the same charges. He received 12 months and 18 months respectively. The only evidence was an oral confession he had made regarding the burglary of a club above a bingo hall and amusement arcade where he worked as a bingo caller. His conviction was appealed at the Royal Courts of Justice. While the argument of a coerced confession was dismissed by three High Court judges, Hopkins' counsel had suggested his client had been oppressed while in police custody. Hopkins claimed that he was kept in a small interview room. He could not breathe, 
and started to panic. Moreover, he fainted while in the halls of the prison. While Hopkins was released less than a year into his sentence, his time in a small prison cell did not pass quickly. In 1985, he was living with his partner and her two children on Seven Way in Bedford. Gary Hopkins had been questioned by a Bedfordshire detective, Constable Paul Wright, who had only recently become a member of the CID after a promotion from the traffic police. The young officer, like hundreds of other members of the police force around the country, were asked to routinely question petty thieves, particularly cat burglars, during the investigation. Hopkins' name came up on DC Wright's list. His name had been mentioned by Norfolk Detective Constable Peter Walsh. Walsh had arrested Hopkins in connection with his past burglary charges and was aware he had been apprehended for exposing himself, so raised Hopkins' name with the investigating team. During questioning, the answers to the repeated queries Hopkins was being asked by DC Wright concerning Leone's disappearance kept changing. Furthermore, the man in front of the detective constable bore an uncanny resemblance to the photo fit. The detective asked Hopkins if he had ever been to the Seashore Caravan Park in Great Yarmouth. Hopkins' first response was that he hadn't. He was awkward and could not sit still. DC Wright asked again. His tone was firmer this time. Hopkins then acknowledged that he had, and before long he was admitting that he was there during the period in which Leone was abducted. At first, when asked, Gary Hopkins said that he did not have a car. However, when questioned further, it was revealed he had disposed of his Brown Rover motor vehicle a few days earlier. Hopkins was placed under surveillance, and in turn a search warrant was actioned before Gary Hopkins was arrested on suspicion of murdering Leonie Keating. Detective Constable Wright, who was a father to a daughter just two years older than Leonie, was modest when asked about the capture of her suspected killer. He said something didn't gel. If I hadn't have checked him out like that, he would have been caught eventually. But this made it sooner rather than later. An undeveloped roll of film was discovered among Hopkins' belongings. Once processed, the images showed the picnic site where Leone's body had been left. Hopkins finally admitted to her abduction and sexual assault. However, he was adamant that he did not commit murder. He claimed that he had used one of his keys to get into the caravan without knowing the three-year-old was there. The light was on, Leone was up and out of bed, but Hopkins said he could not remember much else.
The trial was held at Ipswich Crown Court in June 1986. Additional security was employed to cope with the angry crowds outside. One man stood beside a spray-painted sign with the words Hang You Shit sprayed across it. Gary Hopkins was not only facing charges relating to the murder of Leonie Keating, but for the abduction of Pauline Coe from an Essex caravan site and the attempted abduction of a 14-year-old. When Hopkins was asked how he pleaded, he admitted to abducting Leonie, but denied murdering her. Before the trial was even underway, Gary Hopkins cupped his head in his hands. Then after being offered water, he collapsed and crumpled in the dock only an hour and a half into the proceedings. It occurred after prosecutor Michael Hill showed the jury photographs of the location where three-year-old Leonie was left. Hopkins appeared to be out cold. It took three court officials to get him up off the floor and put him in his seat. It took over 20 minutes to bring him round. Hopkins' collar was loosened and water splashed on his face. The entire court sat waiting. It would come to light while he was in police custody. Gary Hopkins admitted to abducting, sexually assaulting and tying up Leone's hands with washing line. He refused to accept he killed her, instead saying that she was still conscious when he left the scene. However, the investigation had found an issue with Hopkins' claim he left Leone alive. He said he left her in a woodland nearby. When trying to reconstruct the child's movements, detectives found it almost impossible for the barefoot three-year-old to get through the thick, thorny bushes in front of the water where she was found. Hopkins said he had lifted her over a fence when they arrived at the picnic spot, then carried her to the woodland nearby. He was asked if Leonie was screaming. Hopkins said, Yes. I put my hand over her mouth. I took her into the trees. Not far. Just a bit. In the interview, he claimed he wasn't aware of the water nearby because of the darkness. He went on to tell the officer, She was crying and still tied up when I ran away. I reversed out of the road and nearly hit a lorry. I was in such a panic. I calmed down after that and took more care. Before the jury at Ipswich Crown Court, Prosecutor Michael Hill debunked Hopkins' claims that he didn't put Leonie in the water. The prosecutor said, The condition of her legs showed she did not get to her feet before stumbling through the forest and falling down the river bank into the water. The truth is that this man threw her into the water while she was tied. She drowned because of his deliberate actions. Leonie's mother Gail sat a few feet behind the accused throughout the trial, 
and at some point she couldn't be in the same room, fleeing the court in tears. The trial was short at just three days, and jurors were unanimous in their decision on each of the charges. Gary Alec Hopkins was handed a total of four life sentences and a minimum term of two and a half decades. The judge, Mr Justice Mann, told Hopkins he would most likely die behind bars. Both Leone's parents attended the trial, but Gail Keating and David Cornell made no eye contact with one another. Cornell was extremely vocal in the press, speaking about both his daughter and his former partner. He told the Daily Express, She was a beautiful child, out of this world, but my wife Gail was always leaving her alone. She was too lenient as a mother. Whatever the children wanted to do was right with her. She went out the night Leone vanished because another daughter wanted to go to a club. I don't believe there was a babysitter that night. If there was, why would Gail lock the caravan door? Your husband, David Cornell, has in fact laid the blame on you partly for Leonie's death. How do you feel about that accusation? Quite honestly, I don't concern myself with that. It's beneath my dignity. Do you still feel any sense of guilt now about having left Leonie in the caravan? I do feel guilt, yes. But um, I also feel, as I've said many times, that there were hundreds of other children at that campsite who were left alone that night. And I'm sure that every mother there must have thought that could have been my child. And as I've also said before, I didn't kill her. Gail's stepfather wanted to offer sympathy to a mother who had lost a child. He said, Gail was a good mother. There was plenty of love and affection. I don't blame her for what happened. Even in the old days, I remember my father and mother used to leave me sometimes. It's so awful the worst happened this time. Gail would never normally leave Leonie alone. Even when she came round here, she wouldn't let her run up the stairs outside. Recalling the three-year-old, he said, Leonie was a beautiful kid. She could be a stubborn little devil, and if you told her to do something, she wouldn't do it. But I loved her. Following the trial, Gary Hopkins' younger brother Wayne expressed the opinion that there was no love lost between them, saying, I wouldn't be surprised if someone in the family turned him in to the police. We all knew what he was like. He was always his granny's favourite, but even she realised in the end. Janet Hopkins stood by her partner, 
even after the trial where Hopkins confessed to sexually assaulting a three-year-old and was convicted of the same child's murder. The mother of two shockingly said, It would be wonderful to make love, or even spend a few days together while he is in prison. But if not, I would like to have his baby through artificial insemination. After serving eight years, the minimum term Gary Hopkins would have to spend in prison before being considered for parole was increased by the Home Secretary. Hopkins would have to serve another five years. So where are we now? Gail Keating and her daughter Nicola left the refuge, finding a home in Battersea. I'm very, very grateful to the police for all the work they've done and the effort they put into it, which was terrific. And um, the fact that he can't hurt anyone ever again. How do you feel about Gary Hopkins himself? I can't really answer that. It's... It's not, it's not an easy thing to answer. I feel very bitter, obviously. Gary Hopkins, who had since changed his name to Xavier Themis, appealed his minimum term of 30 years following the increase in the mid-90s. On August 1st, 2008... The then 50-year-old pleaded his case before London's High Court. He had been in prison for 23 years, including time on remand. Hopkins' lawyers told Mr Justice Field that their client had made such good progress behind bars, it should be reduced. But the judge responded to this argument by saying, After a poor start, he has done very well educationally. He has a high IQ. However, in my judgment, his conduct in prison has not been sufficiently exceptional to justify reduction in what would otherwise be the appropriate minimum term. Hopkins' defence team also tried to assert that a recently discovered diagnosis had a part to play in the crimes. The judge responded to this point by saying, The application raises the argument that during the time of the murder, he may have been suffering from Asperger's syndrome. If he were, this would not mitigate the sheer evil and cruelty of the murder. The applicant was fit to plead and did not fall within either of the rules governing pleas of insanity. Furthermore, there is nothing to suggest that Asperger's syndrome would have given the applicant a defence based on diminished responsibility. Gary Hopkins' appeal was rejected by Mr Justice Field and the judge believed the sentence was fully justified. 
Hopkins or Xavier Themis was eligible to apply for parole in 2016. His current whereabouts are unknown. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Nick Evans, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.